Good morning. I want to start this morning's study by reading from James. We're actually in the book of Genesis, and we're in chapter 19. It's a rather dark chapter. I'm glad none of the children are with us today, and if there are that I can't see, they probably shouldn't be. This is a rather adult subject today. If I were uh, introing a movie, I would say PG-13, maybe, maybe R. So this is one of those studies where we're going to be dealing with things that are dark. However, before we do, let's start with James chapter 1, verse 27. I'm going to read for you that religion, James says, religion, that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Now, there's two things that I thought about as I meditated on that verse. To be honest, I didn't really want to meditate too much on our text today. It's a a terrible chapter in God's Word, but it's true. It's awful, but it's not the kind of thing you want to necessarily have in your head all week. So I started looking at this verse, and I came to the conclusion that there's some things I learned about our study today from this verse. The first, as far as what religion is, The first thing that's mentioned is to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and the second is to keep yourself from being polluted uh, by the world. And Now, that's really what we're going to talk about today, being polluted by the world. But let's start by acknowledging that when we look at religion, what it means to serve God and to serve others, it, it, first of all, it, it needs to be acknowledged that as Christians, nothing breaks our hearts more than seeing orphans and widows in distress. Anyone in distress. Our world is filled with so much wickedness. And isn't it something that these bureaucrats and politicians start wars, but that it's the most needy that suffer? And I I have gotten into the habit of not taking sides in conflicts anymore because I've come to the conclusion there are no good sides in a conflict, especially in an armed conflict or any type of situation that causes people to have to flee their homes, refugees, all of this kind of thing. But the most distressing thing, of course, I think for all of us is when we see the pictures of, of children and women, you know, just fleeing and being di- just completely distressed by the things that are happening around them. And that breaks our hearts. Another thing that breaks our hearts is to see those that we love polluted by the world. Far too many of us have lost loved ones to the world and the things in the world. The corruptions, the pollution of sin, drug abuse, sexual sin, wickedness, crime. So we live in a world much like the world that we're going to be studying about today, but we have to start by acknowledging that we understand what true religion is, but that it also breaks our hearts because we're truly religious people, if you will, according to the Bible's definition, that as Christians, as children of God, these two things distress us perhaps the most, to see those in the greatest need suffering in this world, needlessly in my opinion, and then in addition to that, those in the world polluted or corrupted by the world. But I want to also add, and this is something that came to my mind that as Christians, there's probably nothing more challenging than to do these two things, because in order to meet the needs of orphans and widows, you have to get outside yourself. 
In order to go on a missions trip, you have to think about someone other than yourself. Maybe you have a week's vacation and you think, well, you know, I was planning on Aruba, but the Lord is calling me to a place in the third world that's in poverty where there are many in need. And to do that requires you getting outside yourself. So that's a great challenge. And then, of course, we know this. We have to acknowledge this as Christians, that even though we love God, it is so easy, in fact, attractive enticing, seducing to be polluted by the world. So isn't that something, the things that we're called to, the real truth of religion as it relates to serving God, these are the things that in our spirits breaks our heart, but in our flesh really represent the greatest temptations to be selfish and to be sinful. And so what we're going to see today is that in the cities of the plains, which there are actually five, four of them will be destroyed, but five are mentioned. Uh, These cities, Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, Zeboim, and then there was Zoar, uh, which will not be destroyed, and we'll see why in a minute. But these five cities of the plains were under God's judgment. We saw this in our previous study, that God had revealed to Abraham that he was about to go there and judge the city. That is to acknowledge what was going on there and take action. And I think we all want God to do that in our world. We want him to acknowledge what's going on and take action. We pray for it. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If you've ever prayed that prayer, and most of you have probably prayed it many times, you're actually asking God to do that very thing in the world. We understand our calling to meet the needs of others, to stay away from the world system. We understand it's the greatest temptation to be selfish and sinful. But what our study today is going to show us is that there will be a time in our future when God will take action, but there was a time in the past when he did. And from this, we can understand that God can be trusted to judge the wicked and not to judge the righteous. As he promised to Abraham, he would not judge the righteous with the wicked. Let's be sure in our hearts to be the righteous by faith, to to really truly strive to meet the needs of others as best we can and as selflessly as we can, and to keep ourselves from being spotted or polluted by the world around us. Let's pray this morning. Lord, Heavenly Father, we ask that as we study this dark chapter in your word, that somehow your Holy Spirit would give us the ability to be encouraged at least in this way, to be better at the things you've called us to, uh, to to not be selfish, uh, to be selfless, and to not give ourselves over to the sins of this world and the wickedness of this world, which is so enticing and tempting even to us as your children. So, Lord, as we study this chapter, give us understanding of where living that way ultimately leads as a culture and that we can understand that at some point the culture that lives in this way will be judged Lord, we don't desire to be judged with the culture. We don't desire the culture to be judged. We desire the culture to be spared. We desire those in in the greatest need to have their needs met. And, And Lord, to be able to deliver those, like Jude tells us, hating the garment even spotted by the flesh, delivering them from the fire, rescuing them from this wicked world. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, this chapter requires very little explanation. It's very self-explanatory. So I'm going to read large sections and then make a few comments, and then we'll prepare our hearts to receive communion. And I think it's a, actually a, 
a good text because it, it helps us to look into our hearts and acknowledge and admit that we are selfish, that we are sinful, that the things of this world are, are all too attractive to us, and even the most wicked aspects of our culture are not necessarily those things that we, we shy away from, but in our flesh, many times we're attracted to. If we're going to be honest with ourselves, we're really good at being selfish and sinful. It's our natural tendency to be this way. But because of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we are able to supersede our programming in our flesh, our sinful nature, and become children of God to serve God and serve others. Amen? But let's take a look at what we learn here in chapter 19. In chapter 19, in verses 1, and we'll read actually all the way through verse 11, the two angels, you remember the two angels and the Lord, showed up at Abraham's doorstep. And uh, we're now told the two angels, and before we go any further, where is the Lord now? Well, I think what we're seeing is that God said he was going to go down to Sodom and Gomorrah and look at the cities of the plains and see if the outcry from those being abused was exactly what they were saying. Now, not that God needed to learn anything or didn't know, but he went face-to-face, firsthand, to observe these things. That has apparently already happened. Now the two angels are left behind to deal with God's judgment. So we're not told what happened when God himself, in human form, went to these cities. Uh, He perhaps observed them from afar. But now these two angels, we learn, the two angels arrived at Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. And when he saw them, he got up to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. My lords, he said, please turn aside to your servant's house, You can wash your feet and spend the night and then go on your way early in the morning. No, they answered, we will spend the night in the square. But he insisted so strongly that they did go with him and entered his house, and he prepared a meal for them, baking bread without yeast, and they ate. Before they had gone to bed, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. They called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we can have sex with them. Lot went outside to meet them and shut the door behind him and said, no, my friends, don't do this wicked thing. And this is hard to understand. In verse 8, look, I have two daughters who have never slept with a man. Let me bring them out to you and you can do what you like with them, but do not do anything to these men, for they have come under the protection of my roof. Get out of our way, they replied, and they said, this fellow came here as an alien, and now he wants to play the judge. We'll treat you worse than them. They kept bringing pressure on Lot and moved forward to break down the door. But the men inside reached out and pulled Lot back into the house and shut the door. Then they struck the men who were at the door of the house, young and old, with blindness, so that they could not find the door. This is one of the ugliest, horrible scenes we find in God's Word, describing the wickedness, the pollution of the world culture at that time, which sadly isn't all that different than what we see today. There is simply no way to justify uh, the actions of the people of Sodom or even that of Lot. There, there's no way you can look at this situation and say or come up with any reason for why the people in this section of Scripture, in these 11 verses, all of them, other than the angels, behaved in the way they did, except for the pollution of the world. 
The pollution of the world will call you into a lifestyle, lie to you about your gender, lie to you about your sexuality. It'll lie to you about sin. It'll lie to you about your family. It'll lie to you about everything right and good in this world and pure, including the innocence of children. It will lie to you completely, destroy you ultimately. That's what the world will bring you. So to remain unpolluted by the world, as James said, would be to separate yourself from that world system, a very attractive world system for many people. I know we don't like to admit it, but sin is attractive. It satisfies our fleshly carnal needs. It's something we want. And and you may, because of your experiences, have rather bizarre and perverse desires. That doesn't mean they're, they're correct. It doesn't mean they're right. I, I hear this justification for perverted sexual behavior as, well, you know, this is how I feel. This is, this is what I desire. This is what I want. When did what we want ever make it right? I like to use the example, I may be angry at someone want to hit them over the head. That doesn't make how I feel right. Whether it's a sexual desire or perversion of other, any other kind, when you feel in a way, or have a desire, a quote-unquote natural desire, which is a sinful desire, that is in conflict, conflict with what God's Word tells us is right, you have been polluted by the world. So what do we do about that? Well, we know that Christ has told us to come to Him, to draw near to Him, and He'll draw near to us. We know that the Word of God makes it abundantly clear to us that we can be cleansed from all sin. Amen? So if you've been polluted, have you been polluted? I've been polluted by this world. I live in this world. It's kind of like you go to a backyard party and at night they take out the fire pit or the chimney and they burn the wood. And then when you get home, you're like, it smells like a fire in here. It's not, it's not the house. It's you. You were standing around a fire. No, you didn't jump in the fire. But the smell of smoke has so permeated your clothing that you have to wash everything and take a shower because you just smell like smoke. You've been polluted, if you will. That's what happens to all of us. No matter how noble you may be, no matter how wonderful you may feel about your behavior or your desires, or you may want to be one of the most godly people on the planet, you cannot stand around fire and not smell like smoke. You're going to be polluted, if you will, by the world around you. So what do we do about that? Well, the only way to fix the problem is for us to get out of here. But we don't have a lot of control over that. So what do we do in the meantime? We do our best to follow the words of James. To think about others in distress, sort of distract ourselves from our own carnal needs and desires, which oftentimes are sinful, not necessarily, but generally are. And to stay away. As the Bible says, come out from among them and be ye separate. The idea of staying away from the world. And it's culture. One thing I can tell you, if you don't stand around that fire pit, you won't smell like smoke. You don't have to get burned to smell like smoke. So think about this with me. We are called to live in this world as wicked as it is. And we can see that, by the way, as wicked as it is today, it was wicked many, many years ago. Thousands of years ago, it was just as wicked. What we see here, it describes the the same things that have happened for hundreds, thousands of years in the world cultures. There's nothing about this chapter that surprises me, because given the time and the opportunity, you will see this type of thing on every level happen in every world culture, and especially those that are godless. But dare I say, these types of things also happen among the godly. 
Too many churches are infiltrated by people who are perverts, who are absolutely ungodly people that disguise themselves as something other than what they are. And I'm not saying any of us are perfect, but uh, you have to be so careful today with, with, with who you trust your children and your family with. You have to be absolutely paranoid in order to protect them because this is the kind of thing that happens in schools. These things happen in families. They happen in churches and daycares. They happen all over our planet. So it's a dark chapter, but I feel we can find a glimmer of light even in this account. The two angels, they appear in Sodom. Why? To observe the wickedness of the people. They want to get real close to it because they're actually going to bring God's destruction. As I said, I believe the Lord had already been there with them and has now decided that he's going to leave the angels to bring about his will. But the Lord said he was going to Sodom. He told Abraham that he would, and he did. Uh, We're not told that he did, but we know in advance he said he would. So he's already observed things. He doesn't need to be convinced any further that the city and the cities of the plains need to be destroyed. Now notice Lot. Lot is a righteous man. He and his garments, they smell like smoke. He's been standing too long around the fire and his clothes are polluted by the culture around him. Not just his clothing, not just his life his heart, his family, as we'll see. So Lot's concerned. Why is he concerned? He's concerned to protect the angels from these wicked men. He knows if these angels hang out in the square, and apparently he could observe that they were something more than just travelers. Just like Abraham was able to identify them as heavenly visitors, it seems that Lot was also able to identify them as messengers of God. So he's concerned to protect them from these wicked men. I've mentioned this many times in the Middle East, in many cultures in the world. Hospitality is held as one of the most important things you can offer someone. That is, when you take someone under your roof, you you vow to protect them and treat them better than yourself. It is the practice or the law of hospitality. It is practiced in the Middle East today, even by those who may be involved in questionable behavior in the Middle East, hospitality is held at a premium. Now, the men were completely, the men of the city, that is, were completely given over to lust, and in this case, homosexuality. It is not fair to say that uh, it's all about homosexuality, but it's a fair assessment to look and say things had gotten so bad that the last rung of the ladder happened to be homosexuality. It's it's indicative of a culture that has become so corrupt and so polluted that anything goes. Anything goes. In this case, it's not that just alone. It's rape, it's abuse, it's violence, it's it's all of the above. And I don't think you have to imagine too much in your mind because we live so close to a major city, New York City, uh, that at this point in our cities in the country, this is the kind of thing that's happening constantly because wickedness has so polluted our culture and our government, and especially our cities, and one particular political party, although one can argue all political parties, that it seems to be okay for violence to happen without anyone even batting an eye. We've, apparently, I haven't, but you haven't perhaps, but apparently as a culture we've accepted this as normal or an acceptable thing that we live in a culture where someone can be abusive to someone else sexually, in violence, in any way, shape, or form, and that apparently that's business as usual. I I don't think so. 
but it was in the city of Sodom. This was a daily occurrence. This wickedness is the reason why God got involved. And I do believe that if we are going to see any judgment in our nation, we may not see it as an entire nation, for there are many good and godly people who love this country and love their families still in this country. But if any part of our nation was going to be judged in a severe way, it would certainly be some of these cities. I mean, did you really need to judge San Francisco? They did a pretty good job of destroying that city on their own. But you look at every city in our nation, Austin and Texas, Seattle, Portland, those are places you can't even go anymore. You wouldn't go there on vacation. If you went on a business trip, you'd probably want to hire security or stay in your hotel room. It's true, right? I mean, I love the New York Auto Show. And this year, I've been getting lots of invitations and discounts because I'm sure nobody wants to go. And that's not even difficult to get to. You take the ferry, you're in the Javits Center, and you have a good time, and it's a wonderful event. But I'm not going this year. I don't want to go anywhere near that place. I really don't. Why would I? Oh, but Pastor Tim, you can handle yourself. Yeah, I can handle myself. Doesn't mean I want to go to jail for protecting myself. Because that's what happens to a good person on the train who defends himself. He goes to jail. She goes to jail. So I just stay away from it completely. And many of you know I spent 20 years ministering, my wife and I, 20 years, and some of you as well, in the city. And now I won't go there. That's what's become of many, if not most, of the cities in our nation. Sodom, well, Sodom was such a city. And we see that it had gotten so bad that this was acceptable behavior. Now, they had no interest in Lot's offer of his young daughters. Now, this is disturbing on the face of it because you think to yourself, any rational person looks at this and says, what? Now, I've heard some teachers say, well, the law of hospitality demanded that Lot protect his household and these angels at all costs. I'm sorry, I don't buy it. I'd go out swinging, grab one of my karate weapons, and hey, I'm on my way out, I'm, go- I'm going swinging. They're not going not gonna to take me lying down. I'm, I'm, I'm going for it. There's no way I would. But we don't understand the culture. Culture, sadly does not value women or even children. That should be apparent by the fact that many people within these cultures, even today in the Middle East, they just, they don't, they don't care about life. The people claiming to protect the Palestinians, for example, are the worst at abusing the Palestinians. And I'm, again, I'm not taking sides, but really? If they took the billions of dollars that were given to Hamas over the last several years, just even, let's say, the last five years, Let's not even say the last 40 years, but let's say the last five years and just divvied it up among all the people. They'd all be wealthier than all of us. But no, that money is spent on wickedness. They don't care about their people. And I'm not, again, I'm not taking the side of what's going on in Gaza or Ukraine either way, but who suffers? Widows and orphans. And by the way, all that violence makes more and more widows and more and more orphans. So wickedness in the world exists And it's hard for us to understand this offer of his young daughters, but indeed he did. Maybe some of it's cultural, or maybe some of it is just you live in a place like that so long, you become so polluted that anything's possible. I really do believe that conscience has become seared to the point where something like that seems like a, 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 a thing that's okay, an acceptable behavior, an acceptable offer, and of course it isn't. They threatened to rape and abuse Lot as well. You should know that in verse 9. 
So what do the angels do? They protect Lot and his family from these wicked men. Thank God. Thank God. But they were being threatened, these angels, were being threatened by these men who had so given themselves over to their, their own selfishness and sinfulness that in fact, they were willing to do the most horrible things. And there's really no point thinking about it further. But let's pick it up in verse 12. Verses 12 through 22. They direct Lot and his family to get out. To flee the city and be saved. And by the way, one of the reasons you can't find a house in the suburbs is many people have done exactly that. They've fled the cities in order to be saved, to protect their families. Do you blame them? Maybe some of you were living in a more of a city area, and now you've said, you know, even within New Jersey, I don't want to live in the city anymore. It's, it's, it's not safe. Many people have taken that approach. Many people have left our area, move south, move west, move north. Well, here's what happens in verse 12. The two men said to Lot, Do you have anyone else here, sons-in-laws, sons or daughters, or anyone else in the city who belongs to you? Get them out of here, because we are going to destroy this place. The outcry to the Lord against its people is so great that he has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law, and it basically says here, who were pledged to marry his daughters, Uh, but that may not be the translation. That may be the uh, the son-in-laws who were married to his daughters. Because he had two unmarried daughters, but no doubt had sons and daughters who were older, who had already been married and were living in the city. Uh, Then it goes on to say, he said, hurry and get out of this place because the Lord is about to destroy the city. But his sons-in-law thought he was joking. And with the coming of dawn, the angels urged Lot, saying, hurry, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you will be swept away when the city is punished. And when he hesitated... The men grasped his hand in the hands of his wife and his two daughters and led them safely out of the city, for the Lord was merciful to them. And as soon as they had brought them out, one of them said, Flee for your lives. Don't look back. Don't stop anywhere in the plain. Flee to the mountains, or you will be swept away. But Lot said to them, No, my lords, please. Your servant has found favor in your eyes, and you have shown great kindness to me in sparing my life, but I can... I can't flee to the mountains. This disaster will overtake me and I'll die. Look, here is a town near enough to run to, and it is small. Uh, Let me flee to it. It is very small, isn't it? Then my life will be spared. And he said to them, very well, I will grant this request too. I will not overthrow the town you speak of, but flee there quickly, because I cannot do anything until you reach it. That is why the town was called Zor, or small. Obviously, That was the name of the city, may not have been the name at the time, but they ended up calling it Zar. So it does seem that he is a bit reluctant. He and his family are certainly reluctant to leave the city of Sodom. That's hard to understand, given what just took place. But isn't it something that we get so entrenched in sinful lifestyles that even though our families plead with us, beg us, have interventions and do their very best to try to dissuade us from sinful behavior, that many times those beloved family members persist in their behavior that oftentimes takes their lives or corrupts their souls. It doesn't seem like we can do anything to convince someone so addicted to sin, whether it be alcoholism, drugs, sexual sin, terrible behavior, whatever it is, it's so hard to make people we love see that what they're doing is going to bring about their death. 
And we try, and we try. Like Lot tried to convince his sons-in-law, no doubt, again, married to his other daughters, tried to get them out of there, but no one would listen. No one would listen. Now, Lot believed that the city would be destroyed. He did. You can see that. No one else seemed to believe that. He hesitated to leave, yet God mercifully removed them from this city. And sometimes we hesitate, and then God has to get involved and do something to deliver us from, um, really, from ourselves. And he will, thank God. He's so committed to us that he'll ignore your willingness and desire to stay in a particular sinful lifestyle and pull you out of it anyway. Thank God for that. Amen. How many of us here could stand up and say, I was in the trenches of sin. I was, I was giving myself over to sin and God reached into my life and pulled me out. I didn't even want to get out. I didn't want to leave. But he made it impossible for me to stay. He ripped me out of where I was and brought me to a better place. So many of us have that testimony, especially with addiction, especially with all the different sexual sins. There are so many people who they would have never left that lifestyle. They would have never stepped away from those things. That God made it impossible for them not to. And I thank God for his grace and his mercy toward me. Many of you can echo that with an amen. Now, he says he's afraid he wouldn't make it to the mountains in enough time. I, I think he's fibbing a little bit. I, I do believe that Lot loved being in the city. He loved the city world. He clearly did. At one point, he was given a choice, and he wanted to go towards Sodom. He pitched his tent. He, he set up camp towards Sodom. Next, we find him living in the city. Uh, apparently, he was at the gate, which indicates he may have even been one of the city officials. And listen, he may have been trying to do good. It does seem that he was trying to be a godly influence in a wicked city, but this city was so wicked that it didn't help at all. I often think, I mean, I appreciate people who want to get involved in government and run for office, godly people, thank God for them. I don't know why they want to do that, but, you know, they feel a calling and they, and they get involved in that and you realize, oh my goodness, it's just, why would you even want to bother? But thank goodness many people do. Anyway, he used this excuse to request that they spare this small little town of Zoar, and he wanted to go there. So kind of a compromise, the idea, well, I don't want to leave the city, I don't want to be destroyed, so I'll just go to a small city. And at that time, this was as wicked as any of the other cities. So maybe he's thinking, well, I can make a bigger difference in a smaller city or a smaller village, or maybe he's just thinking, I don't want to live in the mountains. Whatever it is, he makes this decision, and the angels, they comply. They are willing to grant him this request, and they do. Now, the angels are telling us here in verses 21 through 22, they're telling Lot and his family they could not destroy these cities until Lot and his family were safe. We've talked about this before. God doesn't judge the righteous with the wicked. He judges the wicked but he spares the righteous. So in this world, there are many things that can claim lives and destroy lives, but all of them for the Christian are sin. The result of sin and the world, none of it's God. Because God doesn't judge those who are righteous like he judges the wicked. So if you're experiencing, you're a child of God, you've given your heart to Jesus Christ, you claim the cross as your salvation and the empty tomb as your promise of redemption and everlasting life. If if that's you, anything you're experiencing in this world in the way of trauma that's the result of your behavior is not God's judgment, it is the consequences of your sin. 
or someone else's sin. Far too many times people suffer. Innocent people suffer because of someone else's sin. That's not God. Don't think for a minute that's God. And a lot of people say, well, if God really loved this world, he wouldn't allow that to happen. I I feel that way sometimes, but it's clearly not true. God loves this world, and yet he allows these things to happen for his purposes because it is a wicked world. Look what he allowed to have happen to his own son. Wickedness is alive and well in our culture today and throughout the world. It's even worse in many places. Most places are worse. So, This is the world we live in. What do we do about it? Well, we know that destruction is coming for these cities. God has told Abraham. The angels have told Lot. Destruction is is about to take place. And indeed, it happens in verse 23. We'll read there verses 23 through 28. By the time Lot reached Zoar, the sun had risen over the land. And then the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. Thus, he overthrew those cities. That would be all four of the five cities. And the entire plain, including all those living in the cities and also the vegetation in the land. But Lot's wife looked back and she became a pillar of salt. That is, she was affected by whatever the destruction was taking place uh, there at that time. Now, early the next morning, Abraham, we're told, got up and returned to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah, toward all the land of the plain, and he saw dense smoke rising from the land like smoke from a furnace. And so God did destroy the cities of the plains, as he had promised and as he had informed Lot. Both cities, as well as the surrounding towns, were completely destroyed. Now, it certainly sounds like some type of volcanic eruption. But it wasn't a natural disaster. It was a supernatural judgment. There are things that happen in our world that are natural disasters. And they do not spare the righteous. They affect many people. This happens man-made disasters as well. But there are many natural disasters, whether it be hurricanes, tornadoes, earthquakes, volcanoes, different types of man-made disasters, they affect all people equally. You can't be a Christian in the middle of a tornado and say, well, God would never hurt me, because a tornado is just the environment we live in. It's not God's judgment. But there are times where God brings his judgment through tornadoes. In that case, you can be assured it's not going to get you. But unless you know that that's the case, and even Lot had to get out of the city, why would you tempt fate, right? I remember uh, speaking to my grandmother when I was young, and I said, Graham, did you ever think about living anywhere but New Jersey? And she said, why would I go to California? They got earthquakes. Why would I go to some parts of the country where they have tornadoes or floods? I'm staying right here. And, you know, she was very happy about the fact that we typically do not have those types of things, uh, earthquakes, tornadoes. Now, having said that, God help us if we ever did, right? But, but I think it's generally, we have other perils we have to deal with, which we've talked about already. But natural disasters, not so much. We've had floods, even recently, right? Floods, hurricanes, certainly, recently. We've had those things. Uh, but my grandma wouldn't also get on a plane or on a boat. Uh, because, you know, if you're on a boat, you could sink. If you're on a plane, you could crash. So if you live your life like that, you probably won't leave your house. And pretty much for most of her life, she didn't. I don't suggest you live that way. But you can sometimes ask for it, you know? If you're living on the San Andreas Fault and there's an earthquake, 
I don't know what to say. You didn't know? Well, it is entirely possible, given the geology of the area around the Dead Sea, that this was, in fact, a volcanic eruption. We don't know, but whatever it was, God brought it about in his time and held it back from happening until Lot and his family had escaped the city. But notice Lot's wife, she turned back, and it's often represented uh, by some teachers, but also in movies or films, as she turned around and she was instantaneously turned into a pillar of salt. It's like something out of a sci-fi movie. Uh, Not exactly. When it says she desired to return, she ran back. Now, she's a mother. She probably has sons and daughters, daughter daughter-in-laws, son-in-laws, in the city. So was she overcome by grief and just desired to return and couldn't think of once the destruction started, like a person, like a, like a mother or a father running into a burning building in order to save their, their children? Perhaps, perhaps. It's likely that that was part of the motivation. It's also possible that she just didn't want to leave. We don't know. But she was destroyed because she didn't listen. And sadly, many people, even well-meaning parents, destroy their lives because they're so busy trying to save people who don't want to be saved. And that's sad. Because how do you stop loving someone who's literally destroying their life? You can't. At a certain point, parents, with your children, you have to decide, for, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Choose this day who you will serve. And you have to say to those children or those loved ones or those family members, you have to say, I can only pray that you will change your heart and your mind. You have to. You running into a a building that's on fire may be able to rescue that person in the fire. And I understand in that situation why you would. But most of the time, the sad truth is when that happens, everyone dies. Everyone suffers because one person has chosen to be in a situation that will destroy their lives. And that's the sad truth of Lot's wife, that probably she was thinking not of herself, but of her children and others, and not listening to the Lord, and as a consequence, left her remaining two children without a mother, and her husband without a wife. So, Abraham sees the smoke from afar off the next morning. Imagine how he must have felt the day before he had just been pleading with the Lord, please spare the city if there are ten righteous people. He, he got God from 50 to 10. Just this idea, if there were 10 righteous people, would you spare the city? And God said he would. And, and I'm, think, I'm thinking Lot, his wife, his two daughters, who knows if he had others, other sons and daughters. Uh, he's probably thinking, Abraham's thinking, there's no way God's going to destroy the city. Lot's family alone is at least 10 people. But isn't that sad? Only four of them came out. Well, the Lord spared Lot and his family, And we're told in verse 29, one of the reasons why. I don't want to say the only reason why, but certainly one of the reasons. Notice in verse 29, when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham and he brought Lot out of the catastrophe that overthrew the cities where Lot had lived. You see, there's an implication there that it was Abraham's praying, Abraham's pleading, Abraham's desire to see his family spared. He loved Lot as a brother or a son. It seems the Lord spared Lot and his family in response to Abraham's intercession on his behalf. So prayer does work. It's actually better than running into a building that's on fire. I would recommend that if you truly are concerned about someone you love, that dedicating yourself to prayer is far more effective than enabling them to continue in their bad behavior. 
I, I know that for sure. Enabling them to continue is not going to help them. Praying for them, and in some cases, having to separate yourself from them, may actually bring about a good result. But continuing in behavior that is not productive, that only facilitates them to continue to live in that way, well, that's going to surely result in their destruction. You know, there's a lot made today of whether or not we should be accepting of our family's decisions. Whether it's getting involved in homosexuality, getting involved in addiction or questionable sinful behavior, heterosexual as well. And, you know, in our world today, there are people in the church telling us that it would be a good idea for us to be loving and accepting of those people's decisions. Now, I think you can be loving and accepting of a person and not be loving and accepting of their behavior. In fact, I think that's what we're commanded to do when we talk about hating even the garments spotted or polluted by the flesh. Saving them, snatching them from the fire, as Jude says. I think that is love. Love is not being accepting of a perverted, sinful relationship just because those people have strong feelings for a member of the same sex. Just because they have a desire that is ungodly, we can't justify it under the blanket of love. We can't sit there and say, well, God is love, and so what my sibling or my uh, child or parent or doing or co-workers doing, it's loving. God is in it. God is not in it. No more than he's in any of the things that are sinful and contrary to his word. How could you say that, Pastor Tim? I just did. Can you imagine I'm not probably a very popular person among certain circles? Do I care? No. What I'm concerned for is the person. See, true love is recognizing that if I enable that person to continue in that sinful behavior, they're going to be destroyed. Do I want that? No. Oh, you're such a hater. If I really hated that person, I'd be like, go for it. Can't wait to see you die. That's not me. That's not you. That's not those of us who have loved ones we care about. We care so much that we're brave enough to say, I love you, but no. What you're doing is wrong, and it will ultimately end in the destruction of your soul, possibly the end of your life. Your behavior will kill you. Oh, well, how could you say that? Because it's true, and God says it's true, and God loves you too much to leave you in this way of thinking you need to understand that what you're doing is sin against God, and even if somehow you make it through life unscathed and live to the age of 110, one day you will stand before the throne of God and have to give an account and spend the rest of your eternal existence, which is forever, in hell, separated from God, separated from the love of God, abiding in the wrath of God forever. If I really believe that, how can I enable or support decisions that family members make that I know will bring about their destruction. I'm asking questions today. I'm not even providing answers. Those are questions I'm asking you. How can I? How can I? I know it sounds rhetorical, but it's an honest-to-goodness question. How could I? How could I? So, Abraham. He was a big part of why Abraham and his prayers were a big part of why Lot was spared. Now, we're told in 2 Peter chapter 2, In verses 7 and 8, I'm not going to turn there, but I'll recap it for you, that Lot was a righteous man living in an unrighteous place. (laughs) Hello? I know what that's like. So do you. He seems to have tried to become a judge in the city of Sodom. Perhaps his relation to Abraham gave him some influence, 
Abraham had actually spared the prisoners of the city of Sodom and Sodom and, and, and brought back their goods back in chapter 14. The men of Sodom did accuse him, that is Lot, of playing judge. He was distressed, we're told, in Second Peter. He was distressed by the wicked lifestyle of the Sodomites. He was tormented by the wicked things that he was forced to endure. We're told that. So yeah, he was a good man or a righteous man in a wicked place that stayed way too long. Let's call it that. Or maybe he shouldn't have been there. I'm not going to judge his heart. But definitely stayed too long. That much we can see. Lot's fascination with the cities of the plains ultimately cost him his family. You, you have to acknowledge that. And I want to mention something else. In Luke's Gospel, in chapter 17, in verses 26 through 32, when Jesus is talking about the last days, he likened the time of his return to the days of Sodom. Also the days of Noah but the days of Sodom. Well, if you're going to look at our world and try to deduce when the Lord might come back, now's as good a time as any. In fact, if you look at the way the world is going in our culture today, we're supposed to be a shining city on the hill, an example of God's goodness and grace to the world. Uh, Instead, at least half our nation has gone in the direction of wickedness, perversion, and insanity. Insanity. So, That day will happen. It's not for us to know when, but it will. In the meantime, we need to be busy about true religion, and we've talked about what that is. James told us. So we pick it up in verses 30 through 38, and and this, if you think it's going to get any better, it, it gets worse in this chapter, to be honest. This is probably just, if not more, disturbing than the first section. And I thought about holding off and dealing with this next week, but I don't want to deal with this another week. So let's get this out of the way. Lot and his two daughters left Zoar and settled in the mountains, for he was afraid to stay in Zoar. He and his two daughters lived in a cave. And one day the older daughter said to the younger, Our father is old and there is no man around here to lie with us. So as, as is the custom all over the earth, let's get our father to drink wine and then lie with him and preserve our family line through our father. That night they got their father to drink wine, and the older daughter went in to lay with him. He was not aware of it when she lay down or when she got up. And the next day, the older daughter said to the younger, Last night I lay with my father. Let's get him to drink wine again tonight. And you go in and lie with him so that we can preserve our family line through our father. So they got their father to drink wine that night also, and the younger daughter went in and lay with him. And again, he was not aware of it when she lay down or when she got up. This is a disgusting account. There's no question about it. I can't wait to get through it, to be honest. I'm thinking, when's coffee hour? Why do I have to teach this chapter? (sighs) They were not untouched, these daughters, were not untouched by the sins of Sodom. Maybe Lot had convinced himself that that they weren't, but they were. I mean, this is where, in the mountains, where the angels had originally directed them to flee, It was Lot's idea to flee to that small city of Zoar, and it's quite possible that they were not welcomed by the people of Zoar. In fact, they probably weren't. So they ultimately left in fear of their lives and fled to the mountains for refuge, which is where the angels told them to begin with. This was quite a step down for a family accustomed to material luxuries, and they were now living in caves. The caves around the Dead Sea have been inhabited by many people groups over the centuries. Well, Lot's oldest daughter conspires with her sister against their father. A terrible situation. She's preoccupied, clearly, with her own sexuality, 
which is what a polluted culture will do to young people. It preoccupies them with their own sexuality. Yes, we are made to be sexual beings. Yes, we have sexuality. Yes, God has given us marriage, heterosexual marriage, to experience that. But our world so corrupts it that people, young people especially today, being preoccupied with their own sexuality are destroying their lives and their psyche. And now even their bodies as they mutilate their bodies in order to conform to the image they believe they should have been designed in. Now here's the problem with that. God doesn't make mistakes, amen? He doesn't make mistakes with gender. He doesn't make mistakes with people. People are not mistakes. But our world is telling us that that's the case. And I'm going to stop there because it's just disgusting. Anyway, she was preoccupied with her own sexuality and with having children of her own. She thinks nothing of getting her father drunk in order to take advantage of him. By the way, this particular act between a child and a parent was totally unnatural, awful, still is, always should be. They knew that their father would never consent to such wickedness. So they used alcohol, interestingly enough, which is the reason why many people experiment sexually, because they take drugs and alcohol, which remove the inhibitions that prevent people from doing things that are unnatural and perverse. That should be no surprise. She's absent of any natural physical aversion towards incest. Now, incest had not yet been officially condemned by the Mosaic Law. In fact, we know this. It had been practiced between siblings before the flood. Certainly, the children of Adam and Eve. It had to be, and at that time, that was acceptable. In fact, these daughters had a great-uncle Nahor that had married his niece, their Aunt Milka. Their great-uncle Abraham had married his half-sister, Sarah. But this is the first recorded instance of any wickedness between a parent and a child. And it was always wicked and it always will be. But she has no reservations about corrupting her younger sister as well. And isn't that something? See, this is what happens with children. The older ones become corrupted and then they corrupt the younger ones. This is how the devil works. This is how the pollution of the world operates. We we need to be have our, we need to be aware and have our eyes open to the methodology. It hasn't changed. So both the daughters have children. Look at verses 36 through 38. So both of Lot's daughters became pregnant by their father, and the older daughter had a son, and she named him Moab, which, by the way, uh, Moab sounds like the Hebrew word from father. So there's not even any shame. He is the father of the Moabites of today, and the younger daughter also had a son, And she named him Ben-Ami, which uh, means son of my people. And he is the father of the Ammonites today. Now, part of the consequences, I don't know if you could call it judgment, but certainly consequences of their action is that the corrupting influence of Sodom was in the lives of these daughters such that though Lot may have been a righteous man, he allowed his family to become wicked. Now, I'm going to say something, parents, because you have to be very careful about what you allow your parents to watch, see, read, participate in, because the corrupting influence of the world is trying to pollute their minds. In fact, it's going to pollute them the way it polluted us. But we want them, when they find themselves smelling of smoke, to remove themselves from the fire. There are some parents that look the other way, and the kids get burned, if you will. I think it is the primary responsibility of parents, but also all of the 
Sunday school teachers, adults in our congregation, we're a church family, to protect our children. My greatest prayer is that none of these little ones will be harmed. I know that's a prayer God wants to answer because what did he say about the little ones? So I do know that we can pray this way. I do know that we need to be diligent. We need to protect our families. We need to protect our children. If you expose them to things that are ungodly, they'll become polluted by things that are ungodly. You have to be careful. You can be righteous, but your children, your children can be corrupted even though you're righteous. It happens all the time. It is a great concern of mine as a pastor. And I'm sure, parents, you echo and feel that same concern. Now, his son-in-laws died as unrighteous men of Sodom. His daughters and any sons that he may have had died as well. His wife desired to return to Sodom. She's destroyed. And his daughters are so vile as to behave in this wicked way. Who's left? Lot. Do you want the legacy of your life to be, well, I was righteous, Lord. I served you. I never allowed myself to be corrupted by the sins of Sodom or the the pollution of the world. I did everything that was right. You see, I don't think that's enough. I think at some point we are our brother's keepers, right? At at some point we, we are responsible for our family and the ones we love, at least to tell them the truth. Parents, you've got to tell your truth. You've got to tell your truth to your kids. You've got to tell your truth to those around you. They need to know the truth. And when they get old enough, they need to know this truth, that these things are wrong, which means you're going to have to explain to them some of the grossest, most disgusting actions humans are capable of. But if you don't, the world will, and it'll tell them it's okay. So you've got to get out in front of that and literally sit down with your children and discuss the things that you would never want to discuss with your children. Because if you don't, someone else will twist it and make it clear to them in some bizarro world that, guess what, it's okay. How you send your kids to public school, I don't know how you can. Not all public schools are equal. But nowadays, I don't know if you can. Parents, you have to make that decision. But I don't know if you can anymore. Maybe in some places. Maybe in some school districts. But in many, you simply cannot. His grandchildren, that is Lot's grandchildren, were the result of his daughter's disgusting sexual sin. Imagine that. That can't bring joy. The children of this sexual depravity were the ancestors of Israel's enemies. How do you like that? Consequences of sin. Moab, from father, became the father of the Moabites. Ben-Ami, son of my people, became the father of the Ammonites. You've heard of them before, haven't you? The Moabs and the Ammonites. The Moabites and the Ammonites. They are Israel's enemies. These two tribes of people cause considerable grief for God's people. If you haven't figured it out already, as I asked the worship team to come up and we prepare our hearts to receive communion, if you don't deal with these things, they'll deal with you. You don't get a pass. There's no way for you to avoid dealing with the consequences of sin. You have to confront it head on. You have to acknowledge what's right and what's wrong. And you can't keep telling your loved ones it's okay. Because it will destroy them, it'll destroy you, it'll destroy our culture, it'll destroy your church, it'll destroy everyone around you if you continue to compromise the truths of God's word. We can be loving. We can, look at the angels. They destroyed the city. Could they have been more loving? They were as loving as one could be. They protected this family, got this family out. You can be extremely loving. Don't let anyone tell you you're not loving if you tell people the truth. And as we receive communion... Let's commit ourselves, not just our hearts to God. We do that all the time, and we need to do that, of course. Let's go one step further and commit ourselves 
to telling the truth of the gospel and, and what's sin and what's not sin and what's right and what's wrong to those around us, but especially to our loved ones, our families, our children. We got to get out in front of this thing and let people know, yes, what you see, two daddies, two mommies, it happens in this world. You see what's going on there? That's wrong. And this is the world we live in. And it happened in Jesus' time. And it happened in Abraham's time. It's nothing new. Nothing new at all. We're not evolving. This isn't some new cultural phenomenon. This has always been wrong. And it brings about destruction. And if you want to live a life of destruction that will destroy not only you, but your mother and I, your father and I, then if you pursue this lifestyle, if you pursue this direction, you will destroy everything we've invested in your life by your behavior. Just know and understand it'll never be accepted. We will not be there for you. We will not support this behavior because we love you far too much. Let's commit our hearts to this truth, all of us, not just parents. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for challenging us today, a dark chapter in your word, and I thank you for protecting our children's ears as they come in from the study we went through today. And I thank you that you are so good to protect their little hearts. And when the time comes when they can hear of these things, well, then give us the wisdom to explain them. Whether we address these things when they get older in Sunday school or as parents and family members when they're young, give us the wisdom to explain it in such a way, the way that James said, we're supposed to live selfless lives and lives that are holy and pure in this wicked world. But it is a wicked world. We can't pretend that it's not. So give us the words, the the heart. And now as we just renew our hearts, Lord, we acknowledge that we have the power to do these things and to not experience or suffer the fate of Lot and his family. We have the power because your Holy Spirit has empowered us. And the reason that we're empowered is because you went to the cross to make a payment through your blood for our sins. You died on the cross for our sins, but you rose again to assure us that you have conquered death and established us in your kingdom for eternity. We'll have eternity, eternal life because of your sacrifice and your resurrection. Lord God, we ask now that you'd empower us and set a hedge of protection around us and our families and especially our children. Send more than two angels a kid. Send ten angels, a hundred angels a child to protect them from the corrupting influence of this world. And protect us in our hearts as well. As we receive communion, may we honor you with our lives. May we come out from among this world and be separate. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.